0: This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How you doing, Chad?
1: I'm tired, but that is from self-imposed summer bad sleep schedules, <laughs> but I'm good otherwise. How about you?
0: I'm pretty good. Getting ready to move here in a few weeks, so life is a little chaotic, but uh, all, all for good things. So. Yeah. Yeah, about halfway through summer and going to be a crazy second half of the year.
1: Well, getting into introductions, we did make it to 201 ratings on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all for the, the call to action. Uh, and keep them coming, like we don't have to stop like there's there's more numbers past two hundred, you know <laughs> so we love more ratings. We love more reviews on Apple podcasts. It's a great way to support the show without you having to do anything extravagant. So thank you to those who've left reviews and also, uh we don't shout out people on Twitter very often, even though it's the place where we're the most active, but we did want to just shout out a few people who we've had contact from recently that includes Cole Marta hunter joel renee and julian if you don't follow us on twitter then you definitely should because it's where katie and i are both more active in general and so that's where the podcast is more active is on twitter so uh we'd love for you to join us
0: well getting into our first episode of discussion for today it is turf war second to last episode of season eight Aired May 3rd, 2012, directed by Daniel Chun, written by Warren Lieberstein and Halstead Sullivan.
1: After the sudden shutdown of the Binghamton branch of Dunder Mifflin, Dwight and Jim scramble for the abandoned clients before salesmen from Dunder Mifflin, Syracuse can claim them. But other questions remain. Why did Robert close down Binghamton? Who will get the biggest client? Why is Andy still hanging around the office?
0: Yeah. (laughs) My first note was Andy is for some reason back why still still and it, again. it's like
1: even more extreme this time too he's not just like dropping erin off or waiting to pick her up to go somewhere else it's like here let me cook you a dessert in the middle of the office because i'm not doing better things with my life right now
0: Andy has a talking head he says why is it that when other people spend all their time at the office they're rewarded for it and when i do it i'm told it's a little much is it because i'm not an employee anymore because that's what it feels like yes That's exactly why, because you were fired, and generally you don't hang out where you were fired. Even if you're dating uh, an ex-co-worker, you don't do it. So he's spending a lot of time there, and it's gotten gotten pretty weird. But you did talk about Binghamton a little bit. So the branch closed the night previous, and all their clients are up. It was an overnight shutdown. This was not a planned branch closing. Uh, Dwight and Jim are having a heyday gathering up all these clients but phyllis points out syracuse is probably not really happy that scranton is taking all their clients because syracuse is in new york and binghamton is in new york and scranton while physically closer is not in new york who should get them so they're running into a little bit of a uh a pause here which is going to get really big when this man named harry comes in very angry demanding to speak with white and jim because he works at the Syracuse branch and he thinks that they deserve the client. So now there's a bit of a, a, foot race.
1: Yeah. That's where the, the turf war of the title comes into place because Dwight and Jim are just seizing opportunities to the point where uh, remember the whole commission cap that Sabre employees have that's still in play these couple seasons later after that first was mentioned. And so they have created a new person, uh, quote person to get the two of them additional commission for their sales. Uh, they have created the character of Lloyd Gross, uh, and they even had Pam drop a sketch, which is a composite of all the, the salesmen in the office. Super illegal, by the way, but uh, at least they're aware of the fact that it's super illegal, I guess, because they, they blatantly say it. But as you mentioned, they did upset the the Syracuse guy, and he shows up, and Robert shows up, too, and I guess we should adjust Robert first, because Robert was just as surprised as everybody else <laughs> that the Binghamton branch was closed. Uh, he apparently went on a little bit of a bender the night before to uh, celebrate the finalization of his divorce, and he just made a call. Made a couple calls, actually. We'll talk about another one of those later. He says in a talking head, closing the Binghamton branch never occurred to me before today, or I guess last night. And so it was clearly an act of drunkenness, judging by his surprise, and the fact that there was no sort of transition plan in place uh, following its closure. And, you know, it's sort of a good thing that he... No, not sort of. It is a good thing he didn't do what he did with Nellie and Andy and have them try to figure out among themselves, uh, the the Syracuse and Scranton branches, figure out among themselves how to divvy up the clients. He, He does sort of draw a ceasefire saying, uh, I will decide how to divide everything up. Just leave it alone for now.
0: But while Robert is deciding, so so Harry learns that Robert is in Scranton and demands that Robert make this final call on who gets these clients, specifically that one big client, Prestige Direct Mail Solutions. When Harry and Dwight and Jim are are kind of making Robert make this decision, Andy is still in the office, by the way, and is... Overhearing Robert waffle back and forth on what to do, and says, "You know, just sit on this." He, no one gets him yet. Andy decides he's going to go to Prestige and try to win them over. So Andy gets a head start. He's gone. He's out the door. He doesn't have the setup to do this. He's not a paper company, but he is just kind of winging it. He's he's gonna figure it out as he goes. Meanwhile, Harry, the Syracuse guy, is tired of waiting for Robert to make a decision, so he goes out to get some air, but of course is heading to Prestige as well. So now it's Andy and then Harry close behind. Dwight whispers to Jim as as Harry's out getting some air. Jim, you know it'd be really dastardly if we snuck out of here and got to the client first. Oh, no, that's definitely what Harry's doing. They realize. So now all all three groups, all four men are rushing to this client to try to win them first. And Andy having left first gets there first and he gets a meeting with the CEO and he gives him his cell phone number and also a key to his house and tells him that since he would be Andy's only client, he would get a hundred percent of Andy's attention, which if you're okay with being someone's first and only client is a really fair point. (laughs) You are the only thing I have to focus on. So quickly in follow all the rest of the guys trying to get the, the client as well.
1: Yeah, the way Andy does get the the sale, quote unquote, is strange, but maybe that's something that he learned as regional manager, you know. Uh he was always the worst salesman in the office and we saw many examples of that. Uh, but as regional manager, you sort of have to find a way to set yourself apart, make yourself unique, appeal to what people want, which is what he did the first half of this season before things started going bonkers. And so in this case, maybe the CEO of Prestige needed someone to be a friend. And so Andy's genuine offer of here's the key to my house, if you just need to come over and talk, if you need a place to crash for a few nights, maybe, maybe that appealed to this guy, as strange as it is, as a sales tactic. And also the fact that he just took the initiative that's something Andy never did before that's something he started to do with Aaron when he drove down to Florida telling her how he feels uh, on such a spontaneous act it, it's something Andy has also grown to do is take the initiative none of it's stuff that he would have done pre-manager Andy uh, so it is a sign of growth for him even if he's only sort of stealing the client as leverage as we eventually learn to find out
0: Andy gets there first followed actually by Jim and Dwight. And then by Harry, but the other three basically arrive at the same time and they all bombard the CEO, but it's too late. He's already chosen his paper provider, Andy, who again is not a paper provider, but Andy has thought of this. Uh, He calls Robert, tells him that though Robert once put Andy on a list of losers in the office, that's calling way back. Andy now holds what was one of Dunder Mifflin's biggest clients. He says that if Robert hires him back, the client is his. And if not, he will find another buyer. It's not blackmail, he says, just business. And Robert does not take to this kindly. He uh, gets very, I mean, threatening. He yeah. says, well, I will not be blackmailed by some ineffectual, privileged, effete, soft penist debutante. You want to start a street fight with me, bring it on. You're going to be surprised by how ugly it gets. You don't even know my real name. I'm the bleep lizard king. <laughs> it's probably the weirdest. I mean, we've seen Robert do some weird stuff. This might be the weirdest.
1: Well, I, I'd say it's pretty on par with his uh, fear speech in the Halloween episode. Mm,
0: yes, that's true. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, it's, it's really dark all of a sudden. It's kind of unexpected, but at the same time, it's not. It's just like we sort of saw this bubbling under the surface this whole time anyways. But Andy just, he, he, he's sort of shocked at first when Robert hangs up on him. But uh, he sort of he, he shrugs it off and then he reveals exactly who the alternate buyer he had in mind is. And that is David Wallace. David Wallace is back. Woohoo! You know, we're, <laughs> we're big fans of David Wallace on this show. David, as we saw, recently resurfaced and has been millionaire as of the fundraiser episode. Uh, remember, he sold second. Uh, the patent to suck it to the military for $20 million. So he he's living large again. And Andy doesn't just offer up this client to David. He doesn't just say, here's prestige. You now have a paper client. Congratulations. He says, how about I interest you in the whole package, Dunder Mifflin? And so Andy is trying to convince David to buy the company Dunder Mifflin, which, remember, is affiliated owned at the moment by Sabre. It is still a separate company technically. And so even though it is worth only half of what it was a few years ago when David left the company or was kicked out of the company, uh, that just makes it more of a steal for David because uh, Andy says, you know more than anyone that under good good leadership and good management, this company is going to be worth double what it is now or double what you're going to pay for it. And so As I said, David has $20 million of buying power. This probably isn't going to make that much of a dent in this. And so it seems that David is pretty heavily considering this by the end of the episode.
0: And to kind of wrap up this storyline, Harry, the uh, Syracuse salesman, Jim and Dwight are sitting talking after their failed attempt to get prestige. And Harry asks them what they'd like to do if they weren't selling paper. They've kind of put the competition aside for the day and, and they're just talking like friends what would you do if you weren't selling paper? Harry makes a comment that they should probably figure it out because Robert is going to run this company into the ground and they will not be doing this in six months. And he feels pretty certain about that. And he gets up and walks away. And and we get this look from from Jim like, oh, uh, okay. Is there something I don't know? So this will be an interesting thing to follow along to.
1: Going back to... Well before we move on to the other stuff uh i just wanted to mention there's more evidence of dwight and jim having a stronger friendship than before they're cheering over simultaneous sales they created their duo alter ego of lloyd gross which we'll mention in funny moments uh they later assigned that role to toby in a moment of uh desperation <laughs> and it's just nice to see them still getting along fairly well uh now the other part of robert's bender his uh i'm trying to, what's the word he uses saturnalia that's it that's what it is saturnalia <clears throat> the other part of this is he apparently called Nellie during the night as well and left her a voicemail and she approaches him at the start of the day and she says i got your voicemail and my answers are yes 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 and no and uh, okay i have your answers but now i don't know what the questions are and so robert tasks pam of all people to Figure out exactly what is going on with Nellie and what exactly he said in his voicemail.
0: Pam being sucked into this demand from Robert, she really doesn't want to, but she ends up stealing Nellie's phone. And she does not seem proud of it, but she hands it over to Robert. And Robert starts scrolling through the voicemails and playing them out loud just between him and Pam and the cameras. And we learn that Nellie is, from all evidence, very unhappy in a significant amount of credit card debt uncomfortable with robert hitting on her and has just been rejected by an orphanage trying to adopt a child so she's in a spot a lot of life is happening right now and pam deletes the messages before robert can get to his that he left her Uh, pam says that's enough that's just nope we don't need to do this anymore and pam returns nelly's phone to her and uh, nelly in a moment of friendship opens up to pam about robert and says that he's filthy that he's only thinking of ways that he could sleep with you, that all he talks about is sex. And she starts to tell Pam what Robert left on her phone last night, but Pam stops her. She says that she just doesn't need to know. And Nellie is just so moved that Pam would just be there as a friend and not be into the the gossip of it all and just be there for Nellie that she tries to offer to buy Pam a pair of shoes and just, (laughs) just she's, she's enjoying having this friend. She then has a talking head. Nellie does where she says things are looking up I might be a mother soon I have MasterCard right where I want them and I have a new friend a friend at work uh and while we know that some of those things are not as positive as as her outlook right now uh she's she's excited by by the idea of a friend
1: yeah it is bittersweet because we we know that she's apparently not going to be a mother anytime soon her situation with MasterCard is not a good one <laughs> Uh, but the fact that she's found friendship in Pam, uh, she she seems to be finding friendship person by person as she progresses through her time at the office, which is good. You know, she she had talked with her mother about how bad it is here, about how unhappy she is here. But to to be finding friendship in these people, it, it really is nice to see her. Again, we, we talked about this in a previous episode, her, her being more humanized as she makes more human connections with everybody else.
0: One last thing I wanted to mention from this storyline. About Robert Spinder, he says he got a case of Australian reds wine, and he says, "How should I say this? Colombian whites." So, cocaine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's got a bit of a, a a vice.
1: Yeah, I I never picked up exactly what he was referring to until this watch through because I like yeah. actually looked it up. Like, what does he mean? Uh oh.
0: Oh yeah it's like the number one colombian drug trade
1: <laughs> yeah and it's funny when he says that the camera focuses on ryan and creed just like <laughs> with knowing glances because ryan yep. had his drug problem and you know creed's been through stuff so
0: yeah they are familiar
1: <laughs> uh and one last small thing that i want to mention too before we get to the funny stuff is uh when harry asks uh jim and dwight what they would be doing if they weren't salesmen and Jim offers up a joke answer at first, but he then says, you know, I, I've always wanted to open a bike shop. And I just thought it was interesting that he said that because it's not the first time we've heard that. We heard that from him earlier in the season two in the episode Ooh. Lotto. Uh, he, he, remember when the the warehouse guys won all that money and they were fantasizing about what they would do if they had won the lottery and Jim's fantasy was opening a bike shop somewhere. So, consistency. <laughs> Now, funny moments. We start with a cold open. Uh, It is a Dwight versus Gabe showdown. And what's more important, biceps or core when it comes to strength? Gabe, remember we we talked about in a deleted scene from a previous episode that he had previously been on a protein-free diet. And so it makes sense that he would be going after protein powder now to get a little bit additional supplement. And Dwight tries to show off by taking the powder straight without cutting it with water. That doesn't really go well. He kind of chokes over it. But anyways, Jim is in the middle and he says, you know, the only way to find out who's stronger is with a leg curl contest. And so he sets them up. It's a nice return of the Dwight's gym for muscles. And then as they're going at it and they look ridiculous, neither of them know how to do this properly jim tricks them into being propped up on pillows and then they have prop phones that they're holding and then pam takes their picture and it turns into like a postcard of them uh at a sleepover party gossiping all night long or whatever <laughs> my favorite parts of this deleted se- or this uh, cold open are uh jim making the hypnotized joke and just making a look to the camera like he knows it wasn't up to his usual standards <laughs> yeah. and then when after the contest gabe and dwight are just total noodles and dwight refuses needing jim's help at first but then he sort of like willingly leans on them on him to get into the the conference room it's it's like okay fine i'll i'll accept your help
0: <laughs> cuz they are very sore yeah <laughs> and cramped up you mentioned earlier that Toby agreed to play Lloyd Gross, and he takes on this whole new character. When, when Harry questions Toby as to why they would bother or why they would dare to cross state lines, Toby, as Lloyd says, now we're actually a lot closer to Binghamton than you are, chemosabi. And <laughs> uh, there's a, a Toby talking head. He says, I like to think that Lloyd Gross is a no-nonsense guy who doesn't back down from anybody. And he calls people Kemosabi. <laughs> and then he gets he gets gutsy again. He says, "I've seen guys like you, big guys who like to push little guys around." Lloyd Gross eats bullies like you for breakfast, and this is just so not Toby at all. But uh, he, under the guise of someone else, can uh, can put on the the tough guy act.
1: Yeah, Harry then sort of yells at him, just stay out of New York, Lloyd. And Toby feigns a phone call or a text or something from his wife. He says, hey, text from the old wife, got to take that. And he like casually walks out of the room. But then we see the outside the window of the conference room, he like sprints back to the annex. He he doesn't want any part of this anymore. It's just like his Chad Flenderman guy. He, he, he yeah. puts himself in the role and makes it more out, makes it out to be more than it actually is.
0: Which I like that he has created this whole backstory for Lloyd. Like mm-hmm. he has a wife, which Toby doesn't have. So that he just faked this whole relationship. It's just funny. <laughs> it's great.
1: I love the way Robert phrases this to Pam. He says, when was the last time you lived so intensely that your brain literally couldn't hold all the memories in?
0: <laughs> That's called getting blackout drunk.
1: Robert. Yeah. Uh, more than <laughs> drunk, apparently. More than drunk. <laughs> And he has that whole scene with Pam. She starts to tell her own story. She thinks it's funny. Oh, it was this summer. And he interrupts. He doesn't care about her story, uh, her side of this. He says, apparently, I left a phone message for Nellie last night, and I need you to find out what I said. Pam says she's busy. Robert says, yes, of course. Please, uh, why don't you list the things that would keep you from helping me? Pam says, yeah, I I can make you a list. Robert says, let's do it now. What's number one? Pam says you know, why don't I help you now? <laughs> like, clearly, I'm just trying to get out of this. Might as well just jump in. I'm not going to get out of it like I want to. Robert just says, there we go.
0: <laughs> and exactly what I wanted.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Robert also has a talking head. <laughs> He's just such a weird dude. He says, shaping a company is, in a sense, similar to training a geisha. You have to mold not merely the physical form, but also the character. The two must harmonize. And then he asks the cameraman if if Jim and Harry and uh, Dwight are still watching Robert in the conference room. And they are. And he says they want a decision on who will get the big client. Well, they can wait. I'll still be talking about geishas long past their bedtime. You know, I trained as one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Which is something I do not want to see, actually. I was <laughs> going to say I wanted to, but no, no, I'm good. <laughs>
1: And then uh, th- there's a lot of funny Robert and Pam stuff in this. Uh, whenever uh, she presents Robert with Nellie's phone, he says, excellent, though troubling that your first instinct is thievery. She just says, what do you want from me? <laughs> like, I-, I do what you want me to do, and now you scorn me for this and that. And then after she has deleted the voicemails, after she's decided they've delved too far into Nellie's personal life, he just says, Pam, you've completely bungled this. <laughs> bungled.
0: It's not a word I would have pictured him using. <laughs> Non-Robert, but this always makes me just laugh so hard, and I don't know why. And it's probably not going to be very funny when I say it, but the scene is great. When when Andy is, he walks into Prestige to get the appointment with the CEO, and it's this big, beautiful office, lots of wood walls and leather furniture and everything. It's very nice. And Andy walks in and speaks to the receptionist and asks to see the CEO. And she says, oh, do you have an appointment? And he says, no. Uh, and, and it sounds like he might not get in to see the CEO. And receptionist says, oh, that's okay. I think I can squeeze you in. And Andy says, oh, seriously? Because I could be anyone. I mean, I thought I was going to have to convince you. She says, oh, he's really not that busy. And as she says that, the CEO steps out. Oh, is there someone here to see me? She says, yes, this man. And he, oh, come on in. It's like, oh, a visitor. This is exciting.
1: Yeah, things are happening.
0: <laughs> that was, was funny.
1: One of my favorite Dwight and Jim moments from across the show, Dwight says, he he's talking to Harry. Uh, he says, yeah, and we're not interested in your sour grapes, okay? Jim, tell him where he can stick his grapes. Jim says, in the fridge. And Dwight's <laughs> like frustrated. No, 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 Jim, the butt, in his butt. Jim says, sorry, man, I can't focus on zingers. There's too many potential clients. And before somebody corrects me, he is not talking to Harry at this point. He's talking to Andy. I, I knew it was wrong as soon, as soon as I said it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I also like when Jim and Dwight are in the car racing to uh, Prestige, and Dwight is antsy, and Jim's not driving fast enough. He says, oh, come on. Does this thing have turbo? Nitrous? Hit hit the Nas. <laughs> Jim says, Nas? Like in Fast and Furious, And yeah, we definitely have Nas. Are you sure you want me to hit it? Three, two, one. And he turns on the wipers, and it's like... <laughs> you expect this is like a honda civic or something
1: right right it's a family car it is not something out of passive furious in the meeting with jim and dwight and lloyd gross harry says oh can i check the employee handbook lloyd well does it say anything about me choking a man with my bare hands toby says no dwight says wait no are you are you kidding me you told me there was a rule i could have choked so many people by now (laughs) Like he's so put out by the fact that he couldn't have asphyxiated so many people at this point
0: and then i think in that same meeting harry after learning that robert is in the building he says look at us bickering like schoolgirls, looking around the room for things to hit each other with and jim says i don't think we were doing that but dwight has another thought he says oh nope chair lamp plant table leg jim's leg <laughs> 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 he was prepared
1: you said this line earlier, but I love the way Dwight says it. Uh, when he, he first comes up with the idea of leaving without Robert's permission to go steal the client, he says, Jim, do you know it would be really dastardly? <laughs> I just love the way he says that. Dastardly. dastardly. It's so old school. But then uh, when they get to Prestige, Dwight takes off his belt to tie the door closed. And then he runs to the elevator that Jim has already stepped into. And he's like clutching his pants, hold, trying to hold them up. And he falls to the floor as he gets to the elevator. And then he tries to jump up and down once Harry has gotten inside to activate the seismic failsafe. And then as he's doing so, his pants fall down. I mean, if your pants are falling down that easily, just because you're not wearing a belt, you're probably wearing pants that are too big. But that's beside yeah. the point. But then when he gets to the, the office, not Dunder Mifflin office, Prestige office, he apologizes to the secretary. He says, forgive my pants. They fell down. <laughs> like no explanation beyond that. They just fell down. Forgive me.
0: It is clear that they have fallen. <laughs> this tiny line from Aaron, I just love. It's not a big Aaron episode, but her like one line is great. Harry Storm in. I think his first line is, who the hell are Jim Halpert and Dwight Schrute? And Aaron turns, she said, Jim, Dwight, what are your last names? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're the only ones in the office, so maybe it's them. <laughs>
1: After they have decided, okay, neither one of us is going to get the client. It's okay. Let's just drink some coffee together. Harry says to Jim, you know, your partner's got a lot of attitude, but I like that. How long you guys been dating? Dwight says, Jim couldn't land me in a thousand years. Jim says, "Mm, but you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, in that same conversation, Harry says, so what would you do if you weren't selling paper? Jim says, oh man, I'd have to sell beads. Probably submit them for competitions. Dwight's like, what? Jim says, yeah, I know it sounds stupid, but Nationals has always kind of been a dream of mine. Dwight says, how how have we never talked about this before? (laughs) Wait, you don't even care about Nationals. (laughs) Like, he's so wrapped up in the possibility that Jim, his new friend, his new buddy, is into the same thing as Dwight, and they just never knew because they were enemies. What the chance.
0: (laughs) And I guess my last one, Gabe, a good Gabe moment. So Robert, who sicked Pam on Nellie to find out what was said, also sicked. Angela on Nelly in In Case Pam Failed, and her tactic involved asking for a girl talk. So when Gabe overheard this, he perked right up. He like peeks his head around the corner. Did someone say girl talk? (laughs) And there's a Gabe talking head. He says, sometimes I wonder if I have ovaries in my scrotum because I am great at girl talk. And he goes on to mention a Korean soap opera he's been enjoying. And Nelly asks what appears to be Sincerely. If she would like it or if she would need to have some kind of Asian fetish to enjoy it. And Gabe laughs. He says, yeah, you will need to have an Asian fetish. It will be upsetting if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing.
1: Getting into the deleted scenes, the first one, Dwight, after inspecting the monkey with the blue nose, like we saw in the episode, uh, the little stuffed monkey that was in Jim's vehicle, uh, he asks about the baby bottle. He says, is, is this something for the rear end? Jim says, you've really never seen a baby bottle? And so Dwight then grabs the whole baby car seat in the back uh, and tosses it out the window. And he claims that this this modern parenting garbage is weighing them down. And Jim's like, Dwight, what the heck? What are you doing? Dwight says, don't worry. I checked to see if the baby was in it. And then he turns to the camera and he sort of mouths, I didn't really check. Those things yeah. are not cheap. No, they are not. That, and he just tosses it out on the highway. Gabe. Uh, We get an extended version of him with the girls and the girl talk. And he says, you know, I just keep asking myself, what is my skinny girl margarita? And so the women are clearly exasperated with Gabe. And Angela says, okay, how about we we just all go around and we share a secret, except for Gabe. We'll start with (laughs) Nellie. And then Daryl walks in and he sees how they're all just hanging out in the break room. And in a talking head, he tells us that there's a mouse that's living in the wall behind the vending machine. And he's the only one who knows. And he feeds it at the same time every day. But if anyone else saw it, Squeaker, he's named it Squeaker, would be toast. And so he just wants to give Squeaker his food and try one more time with the little top hat he made for the mouse. And he shows us the top hat, and it's got a little elastic band to go under the, the chin of the rodent. And so he grabs a seat at a different table, and Nellie asks Angela to tell a secret. And Angela says, um, I'll make one up, because that's that's more fun anyways. Not really. But she starts to come up with a lame story. But then Daryl just announces to the room, I'm about to fart, so y'all might want to clear out <laughs> because he wants to cle- he wants to feed his mouse. And so everybody's <laughs> disgusted with them and they leave. Uh, and then he starts to look for Squeaker. <laughs> I like that. Next deleted scene, Toby is wearing a long black leather trench coat he apparently just got today. And Daryl's complimenting on it, him on it. And he says, looks nice on you, looks good on you. What's what, what? this monogram? You've got a monogram on it. It says LG. Jill says, Who, whose initials are LG? Toby answers, let's just say a cool customer by the name of Lloyd. Then whispers to the camera, gross. After doing like a spin and finger guns, kind of like Michael Scott style.
0: <laughs> Which means he he either had... Oh, oh, you you said he got it today. So yeah. he spent money on this character yeah, that does yeah. not
1: exist. Yeah. <laughs> he okay. he now has an official Lloyd Gross black leather oh, trench kinda coat. That's kind of sad. <laughs> and so then Daryl walks off because in the background, uh, he saw Aaron was down on the ground in the break room. And she's feeding Squeaker. But she says, this is Rusty. Daryl says, well, I've been feeding this mouse for three weeks. And Aaron responds, well, Rusty's the eldest son of Ruth Maverick's fifth litter. And Daryl gets this look of realization on his face. He says, how many, how many mice are in this office? Aaron says, I don't know, a couple hundred, maybe. <laughs> and Daryl says, we have to stop feeding the mice. <laughs> and Aaron says, why? And Daryl just gives the camera like this really concerned look like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> and then uh, lastly, Harry from Syracuse has a talking head. And he asks the documentary crew uh, why they're so fascinated with the Scranton branch. Because they've got the same drama and the same wackadoos in Syracuse. There's this guy, Mike, who eats the same lunch every day. It's a chef salad. He's eaten it every day for 15 years. There's Janelle, who's an African-American woman in HR, who wears wigs. She probably has three or four of them. And you have no idea what her hair will be today. You can sort of make that a thing like for the audience. Like, what will it be today? And they they even have their own Pam, except her name is Sharon and she's a little funny looking and she's in love with this guy, Matt, and he's really ugly, too. They have this whole will they won't they thing going, but everyone's hoping for won't they? He says, I can't stress enough how unappealing these two individuals are. Truly, (laughs) if they ever got together, it would destroy your project. (laughs) <laughs> and the funny part about this is that the camera crew actually took him up on his "we have the same stuff in Syracuse" comment because we actually see them in Syracuse as he's talking through all these people. So they they did go to Syracuse and sort of take a look around, and I guess decided, nah, Scranton's where it's at.
0: <laughs> well, that was. Thank you for doing my homework for oh, me. no problem. And uh, I look forward to seeing the deleted scenes. <laughs> I do have a discussion topic, however. Okay. So aside. And and this is mostly just for my knowledge because maybe I'm missing a big reference here that I just am unaware about. But aside from being a weird, intimidating sign-off to Robert's phone call with Andy, why does he call himself the Lizard King? I know it's a Jim Morrison reference, who was known as the Lizard King. But past that, it's just lost on me. I, am I missing something?
1: That is a question that I don't know if I have an answer to. Let's I'm see. sure
0: someone listening uh, knows that better than I do. I know that Jim Morrison like had some. I don't know thing for for lizards and reptiles and so that's that was sort of his nickname and i kind of made that up or i might have made that up too because i uh googled this lightly but if anybody has an answer i'd love to know
1: yeah i'm doing a quick google search i'd be curious to see if anybody came up with a definite answer i'm looking and i see like discussions on reddit um I I think it's just Robert is a really weird dude, and he references different things and says weird things, and this was just his way of intimidating Andy, uh, to yeah. the best of his ability. So uh, maybe it's there's like a an definite reference that's happening. Uh, I I you're right about Jim Morrison, but um I don't know if he maybe has some sort of greater purpose for that reference.
0: Mm. Cool.
1: Okay, going into our next episode, which is. Free family portrait studio. It aired on May 10th, of 2010. It was directed and written by BJ Novak.
0: Dwight is holding a family photo shoot that The Office rather reluctantly takes part in. Turns out it's a scheme. Of course, it's a scheme. Andy, having come into some big news about Dunder Mifflin, plans a big reveal, and Daryl spends more time trying to impress Val.
1: Starting with the, the biggest part of this episode, just because it's the biggest part of this episode, <laughs> Andy, as you mentioned, has a secret. He arrives dressed sort of like a homeless person. He's in this one-piece jumpsuit. Uh, He's looking unwashed, kind of pathetic. He's unshaven. Uh, He's begging for a job of any kind from Nellie. And we know, audience knows immediately that something is up. Because the last we saw, he was talking to a very interested David Wallace about buying Dunder Mifflin. It's not long after he begins mopping the carpet. Nellie gives him the job of cleaning the carpet for today. He takes a mop and starts cleaning it. And... He then tells the camera crew that David Wallace is about to buy Dunder Mifflin for real. And as part of that deal, he is going to be reinstating Andy as manager. And so Andy is trying to put up this whole big ruse about him being in a bad situation, him having fallen hard from his position of power, whatever. And he takes it way too far. I I don't know what his endgame was here. Like, was there any version of this that didn't end with Andy making a fool of himself?
0: I don't think so. And in fact, he goes out of his way to not only look downtrodden and down on his luck and stuff, but he goes out of his way to look pitiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, he covers himself in alcohol and makes his breath smell like alcohol. He made soup for Nelly and then promptly spills it on himself and begins to eat it off of his clothes. Like, he's just... It's it's not a good look. And in fact, Aaron pulls him aside and says, after your manager, some of these images are going to be hard to shake. You need to tone this way down. And everyone is getting concerned and doesn't really know how much of this is real and how much of this is a show and how much of this is his mental health cracking. I mean, they just really don't know. So everyone meets in the conference room to kind of question Andy. They said, you appear drunk. You're limping for some reason. You're filthy. You've got a weird accent. What's going on? And Aaron sides with Andy, although it doesn't come across very well. She says that he's a mess and that he's been taking it out on her and the office rightfully gets angry with Andy. And uh, he says, no, 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 that's not true. In fact, he's got a surprise guest. And just like that, the phone rings and it's David and Andy steps outside of the meeting and asks David, Hey, are you close? Cause this would be a great time for you to come relieve me of this. And, David apparently now cannot come until next Friday. So Andy has dug himself into this pathetic hole where he's being pitied and he doesn't want to keep doing that. So Andy decides he can't wait anymore. He needs to tell the people. And he says that David Wallace gave him his job back. But no one has heard about David Wallace in a long time. Oscar points out that he has not worked here in many years. And why? What? (laughs) And so Andy tries to clear this up. Clear up the miscommunication, but he's just—they just think he's crazy. I mean, Aaron, have you seen David Wallace? And she goes, "No, I've never seen David Wallace, but Andy talks about him all the time. <laughs> like, it sounds like he's crazy. It sounds like he has snapped. And so, yeah, it's—he's not in a good spot.
1: Yeah, he—he he goes about revealing this in the entire worst way possible. It's like he got all of his story points in the wrong order, but it's it's beyond what he can fix at this point uh it's funny to me that aaron just proves can proves time and time again that she's really bad at continuing illusions like it reminds me of uh when andy asked her to give fake messages or bother him with fake phone calls so he could turn it down like michael used to do with pam in the sticky notes and uh she, she took that way too far and she took this way too far too. It turned it into like an abuse thing. And that's nowhere near where Andy was trying to go with this. Robert eventually talks with Andy and he says, it's time for you to go home. You're, you're better than this. Everyone's better than this because this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And thankfully right on cue, David does show up. He announces, yes, I am buying Dunder Mifflin. Also Sabre is being liquidated by Joe Bennett. And so that means Robert is actually losing his job too as CEO. And while David is trying to announce this in a clear through line, Andy can't help but let David just make the announcement because he he picks up the act again. He picks up the mop. He, he, he oh, did I hear my name? Yada, yada, yada. It, it's so obnoxious. It's way too much. <laughs> the moment is, again, not what he wanted it to be because nobody cares about Andy here. His story from earlier that he already told them was validated as soon as David Wallace showed up. So he didn't need to offer any further explanation, put on any further act. It was like, oh, I guess Andy was t- telling the truth. Cool. Whatever. And now they just want to know what's going to change or what's not going to change now that David is taking over. And so Andy just becomes a moot point. And it it again upsets him because he does not get his delicious moment that he's so thirsting for throughout the episode. And so then he hopes for his revenge on Nellie to be the delicious moment, the person who led to him losing his job in the first place. But then she starts quoting Shakespeare at him. It's from The Merchant of Venice. Uh, she says, The quality of mercy is not strained, it droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It blesseth he who gives and he who takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. And it does put him on a little bit of a guilt trip. And once again, his delicious moment is ruined. But to his credit, he does hire her he keeps her on staff she he puts her as special projects manager she says uh, i just run around doing whatever i want whatever you can have it and i mean good for andy he did the right thing by not just completely getting rid of her in a moment of frustration but he, he things are just not going andy's way in this episode
0: interesting thing about robert before we move on to another storyline When David Wallace announces that Sabre will be liquidated, Robert just kind of laughs and steps up and introduces himself to David Wallace. But he says his name is Bob Kazemakis, and he's the CEO, and he wants to talk to David about what he's learned here. And next we see of them, Robert has convinced David Wallace to donate a million dollars to his efforts to educate African, Asian, and Eastern European women, specifically gymnasts. This is... Very weird and very clearly a scam and very uncomfortable. And now it looks like Robert has perhaps snapped and and lost some of his marbles because it looks like he's just about to take off and, and steal a million dollars.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, I don't know if he's taking off to steal a million dollars. I think he's going to do what he says he's going to do. I think he's just going to be real creepy about it. And I think that's, that's sort awesome. of a look <laughs> on uh, everybody's faces as he's giving this speech about... Uh, gymnasts and perfecting their bodies muscle groups the rest of us can't even fathom <laughs> and the, the whole time everybody's just like giving every giving looks to each other of like disbelief they're like rolling their eyes kevin gives the camera a little bit of a side eye while this is going on because they they know what this is going to turn into for robert and david just has no clue what he's enabling is the way i took yep. it but yep. either way uh, robert's getting away with a lot of money and probably the strangest moment of all is that he goes to Andy and he says, Andy, it's been fun. What part of this, these last few episodes, has been fun between Andy and Robert? Any of it? None. No, none of it. And yet he kisses Andy goodbye on the lips. Just like, it's been fun. Mwah. There we go. Miss this. <laughs> and then with his arm around Andy, he says, it's been a great year. And it's like this was just a carnival ride for him and now it's over and he enjoyed it and and that's all it is and he's like in good spirits it's really strange but goodbye robert california i guess
0: yeah uh as far as we know he is it looks like he's out of there dwight let's discuss his photo shoot so yes he's he's holding this photo shoot as a thank you gift to the tenants of the building Uh, at least that's what he says and Dwight invites everyone to bring their children, Daryl, Angela, Jim. We see that Toby and Meredith have brought theirs. Angela declines. Jim declines. He's sure that this is a prank, since he did. Jim pulled a big prank on Dwight the previous week, which we'll get to. But Pam didn't get the memo and brings the kids in, and Jim is panicked. And Angela's husband didn't quite get the memo either and brought in Philip, their baby. And Angela is not as concerned about this being a prank. She thinks that Dwight is doing this whole photo shoot to get a sample of Philip's DNA to prove, ultimately, that he is the father. And, oops, Angela is exactly right. He keeps staring at the baby and offering to fix the baby's stray hairs and offering to clip the baby's fingernails. And, oh, does anyone notice these excess skin cells on the (laughs) baby's cheek? They're a little distracting.
1: Yeah, he's not subtle.
0: No. And so Angela, finally completely convinced that this is what's happening, smartly will not let dwight near the baby but luckily for dwight philip needs a diaper change so he gets his dna sample
1: yeah he makes away with the dirty diaper and this turns into a car chase between dwight and angela as she tries to catch up with him and stop him but he's put countermeasures in place apparently this is something he had planned down to the detail of having a duplicate trans am his classic trans am that he's been driving like the whole course of the show Mose also has one, and so there's a moment where Dwight pulls into an alleyway, and Mose pretends he's Dwight and continues Angela on this wild goose chase while Dwight goes to the testing facility. Angela does eventually discover exactly what happened, does find out where Dwight went, and she catches up with him, and Dwight has reached the testing facility. He's handed over the diaper. They'll know the results in in 72 hours, and he plans on waiting there the whole time, because why not? And Angela sits next to him. She says she'll wait, too. And she holds his hand. And what's interesting about this is just earlier in the episode, Angela had a talking head where she said, Dwight is doing this to get a sample of Philip's DNA so that he can prove that he's the father. And then she pauses and she says, which is impossible because the senator is the only man I've ever been with. And we know, and she knows, and the documentary crew knows, everybody knows this is a bold-faced lie.
0: There have been three? Yeah. Including Andy? What? That that we know
1: of? Yeah, I mean, do we know if they ever got together? I mean, it doesn't matter. It's, it's still it more than one person. <laughs> uh, but does she really think the camera crew is that naive? Because even if she hadn't been caught multiple times meeting with Dwight at various times and places around the office in the first few seasons, there was a whole Andy-Dwight duel over her in season five that made it pretty clear to everyone that she and Dwight had been together. Now she's with Robert the senator. So is she just like trying to lie to herself to make it seem true? I don't know. But in any case, here at the testing facility at the end of the episode, she waits with Dwight and she holds his hand as if she doesn't know what the result will be, unlike what she said earlier. And in that moment, there's a pause where they're just together and then Dwight tries to kiss her. And at first she resists and she says, I can't, which interestingly enough is the same thing Pam said to Jim in Casino Night in season two when he first says, I love you. But eventually she does give in. They do share a kiss. And, you know, this kind of made me a little bit emotional, to be honest. I'm not really sure why I can't nail down an exact reason. Uh, Dwight and Angela have had their ups and downs, but seeing them reunite over a child, which is something that they have both wanted from each other at various times in the last few seasons, and then followed by what we're about to talk about between Robert and Oscar, it was just a nice moment, despite Angela being married, because we we, we have information that she doesn't. and we know what that relationship between Angela and Dwight has been in the past. And so it's almost like a glimmer of hope, but also Angela is still married to this person and she doesn't know the truth.
0: So while we're on Oscar, it's a small scene, but a very, very big scene. Oscar runs into the Senator, that Robert, Robert Lipton in private. We haven't seen them together since the fundraiser for the dog shelter. And Robert, immediately asks why Oscar didn't call. Remember that there was that whole debate. Oh, was he telling me to call or was he just saying, here's my number, you know, call if you have questions. He was wanting Oscar to call. He says that he should have called and that Oscar knows what this is about and gives him a very knowing look and tells him that he needs to call. So, whoa, there's our answer. The senator is definitely gay and is into Oscar. so that's where we are which puts the whole perspective of, of angela i mean it can't be a, a very fulfilled marriage and it's yeah it's a lot of change for, for her right now
1: yeah it's finally that 100 percent confirmation we've been waiting for after a lot of speculation and back and forth between yes he's probably gay and no he's just giving his cell phone number to everybody and so now we have that answer now, the, the last storyline that happens in this episode that's not just like strictly funny is Daryl, Day, remember He-Day, heart to surgeon number one, uh, and Calvin, who quit the warehouse when everybody won the lottery uh, back at the beginning of the season. Uh, they are now back because they made bad investments in a, sport dr- a sports drink marketed towards Asian homosexuals, and it is flavored like coconut penis. And for some reason, this... Sports drink flopped. Who'd have thunk?
0: Amazing. And
1: so he, they're back to ask for their jobs back. He says, sure. So he takes him down to the warehouse. And it becomes really clear that Daryl is still pining after Val. He has a talking head before he goes down and says, if I were Val, I would break up with Brandon. Then I would date the hell out of me. I wouldn't give in to me too fast. Let me buy myself some nice dinners and such. But when I finally did give in, I would go crazy on myself. (laughs) It's funny. Daryl seems to have a lot of these imaginary fantasies with himself. He told Andy back in viewing party that if he had a choice between Andy and Gabe, he'd choose Andy and I'd blow your mind (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) But anyways, he takes Calvin and Hede down to the warehouse. He's very complimentary towards Val as the foreman. He says, now she's one of the best we've ever known. Okay. So I need you to show her your utmost respect. Make sure she feels welcome and at home. Okay. And Brandon happens to be there, and is not too pleased with Daryl's compliments.
0: No, he says, that's some um, pretty blatant complimenting you're doing there, man. I, I, I don't even talk to her like that, which is telling, first of all. Uh, this is your girlfriend. She should feel special. Daryl says, well, I would talk to her like that. Brandon says, it sounds like you're hitting on my girlfriend. Val says, no, 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 calm down. He's not. And Daryl comes out and says it right there. He says, yes, I am. Just so everyone's on the same page, I am hitting on your girlfriend. Okay, bold move, but I respect it. And uh, next we see, of them, we see Daryl. He's taking a photo with his daughter at Dwight's photo shoot. And he invites Val into the picture, which is a big, huge metaphor. And she comes in and she takes Daryl's hand. And I guess that tells us all we need to know, that uh, it appears that she has broken up with Brandon.
1: Let's go ahead and get into funny moments. Uh, do you want to take the cult open?
0: Sure. So Oscar is filming an It Gets Better video, uh, but it keeps getting interrupted by his coworkers. And Dwight says that Oscar is searching out younger gay men, which is not true. Kelly uses his webcam as a mirror to apply makeup. Robert pushes Oscar out of the way to correct everything that Oscar has just said. He says, yes, it gets better, but vastly more complicated. Kevin gets too close to Robert, thinking that, he's looking at a picture he says that guy looks just like you and when robert turns around to say something to kevin he accidentally hits kevin in the nose and kevin is sobbing and this whole it gets better video does not turn out and oscar is just like yeah this is you know it gets better but it apparently not that much better because <laughs> i have to work here
1: Yeah, He says, maybe not much better, but better. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The sports drink I mentioned earlier for the uh, uh, Asian homosexuals, Robert takes a drink and he laments that they added coconut. He says, oh, I miss original.
0: Remembering, of course, that it was coconut penis flavored. (laughs) Love this scene between Meredith and her son, Jake, who are taking a photo uh, at Dwight's shoot, and her son, neck tattoos and all. Asks Meredith, can you just smile, please? And Meredith shouts, I don't want to. <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> Roll <reversal>.
1: the reverse. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that we do see her son. It's Jake. It's the same actor who played Jake way back in Take Your Daughter to Work Day. And we also see Sasha. That's Toby's daughter. And we also see Stanley's daughter. And I don't remember her name off the top of my head.
0: Um, oh, uh, Melissa.
1: Yes. Thank you. So, yeah, we see a few flashback characters. I don't know. I can't confirm that all of them are the same actresses but or actors. But I,
0: th- I think Melissa and Jake are. Jake, Jake for definitely sure. is. Sasha looks way older, so I'm not sure yeah. if they kept the same actress. But, yeah, we, we, we do see Sasha again. I mentioned earlier that Jim pranked Dwight, which is why he's expecting a prank on himself. And Jim explains in a talking head, he says, last week I may have gone too far. I'll explain it quickly. Basically, I found out where he gets his clothes dry-cleaned, custom-ordered the same suit that he wears, made with tearaway Velcro, and you can fill in the rest. <laughs> and we just see Dwight walking jauntily from his car to the office, and Jim comes up behind him and just rips his suit away, so all he's wearing is underwear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jim, as you mentioned, is worried that Dwight is seeking revenge over this prank. And so he did not want to bring in the kids because he figured they might figure in a prank. They might be victims. And Jim and Pam have this back and forth. Pam says, honey, we talked about this. Jim says, no, we talked about not bringing them into Dwight's Photo Studio slash trap. Pam says, yes, and then we decided that was crazy. Jim says, no, we decided it was crazy not to worry about it. Pam says, no, we settled in a much more rational place, remember? And uh, it, it goes on a little bit. But my favorite part is at the end, uh, Pam says, and we'll make sure Dwight doesn't do anything C-R-A-Z-Y. And Kevin goes, wait a minute. C-R-A. <laughs> he's trying to figure it out. But then the way that ends, uh, they sit down for the picture and Jim is super shifty and he's guarding and he's looking around and they don't get a good picture because of Jim. And nothing happens because this wasn't meant to trap Jim or his kids. It was meant for something else.
0: I like how... The kids are looking at the camera, being well-behaved and fine, and Jim is just darty eyes and panicked, and Dwight's whistling and holding up the stuffed animal, like, look at the camera. Hey, Jim, Jim, look right here. (laughs) And he's doing the thing like he would do for the kids, which is great. (laughs) Aaron is such a great little host for this photo shoot as the receptionist. When Angela and Robert Lipton walk in, by the way, you remember Angela works at this office, and Robert has been here, so... She's directing them to the break room where this is taking place. And she says, okay, you're going to go through the hallway. Here's a map. And if you get lost, just follow the blue line. And she's put all these blue tape arrows on the floor. Uh, I think Angela can find her way, but Aaron's really enjoying playing hostess.
1: Not to mention, even if it was somebody brand new to the office, it's literally a straight shot. They, they you go straight through the office. <laughs> there's the annex. Boom, there's the break room right there. Yep. So... I mean, it's not difficult, but good job, Aaron, trying to make it simple. It's funny seeing Angela try and hold and handle Philip because the baby is literally half her size. And so there's a talking head where she's holding him and she's like trying to rock him or move him around. And it's just like overwhelming for her because uh, she's so small and the baby is getting bigger. And it's like too much for her. It almost seems like. (laughs)
0: When Gabe sees everyone joined in the conference room, he assumes it's for his surprise birthday party. Apparently, it's it's his birthday. And he enters singing happy birthday to Gabe and wearing a fake... That's not even written. And wearing a party hat and holding a single cupcake with a candle. And he's just ready to celebrate Gabe. And Nellie just shouts, oh, get out, skeleton man. And he just... (laughs) Pouts really hard and runs out of the office (laughs) or runs out of the conference room.
1: (laughs) Get out, skeleton man. (laughs) Uh, Ryan, uh, he's watching Kelly and Ravi take their pictures in the portrait studio. And then he takes a picture of him holding a sign that he's made that reads, Kelly, I know you're with someone, but I love you. I will wait forever. Only for later, we see him take another picture holding another sign that reads, missed connection, caffeine corner. You were blonde with a hat? I work at Dunder Mifflin. I hope to see you again. So one, so much for Waiting Forever. And two, where where does he expect to see these posted? Or is he planning on posting them himself? Like, what's what's the outcome here uh, as far as making this misconnection? I love when Andy starts mopping the carpet for some reason. Creed says, good, this carpet's overdue for a good mopping.
0: <laughs> Never seen somebody try to mop a carpet. Not no. super efficient.
1: No. Okay, how about you get us start with the deleted scenes? <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to.
0: So Robert, California, and Gabe are taking family pictures for some reason. Uh, It seems like it was Gabe's idea because he's thrilled and Robert's just playing along. And um, It's a very father-son dynamic, but very one-sided. Gabe is uh, far more into this.
1: Dwight has a talking head where he says, My parents didn't take pictures of me as a child. They had a motto instead. Live to 13. Fit to be seen <laughs> he says it's a it's like a waste of film up to that point
0: <laughs> val and her boyfriend brandon are in line for photos Ugh, this is awful when it's their turn brandon asks val if he can have a few solo photos he wants to get the kid stuff out of there because this is a promotional shot for his restaurant he says he's selling three things food sex and laughter and after several shots when val wants to get in the shot to take you know, a picture with her boyfriend. He's not ready to have her in there yet, and just keeps keeps posing by himself. So, uh, good riddance, Brandon. Not not a fan.
1: This is a deleted scene. I wish they had included in the episode somehow because one, it further establishes Brandon as a jerk bag who needs to be left. But two, it makes the payoff of Daryl inviting uh, inviting Val into his family picture all the more satisfying because she was denied out of the the picture that she was hoping she would. Be a part of the yeah. default. Yeah. There's this continuing through line in the deleted scenes. It's this whole cut storyline. And it actually, it's real creepy at first, but it made me laugh a lot in the end. So I'm going to go through it real quick and feel free to interject when you want to, Katie. Okay. <laughs> because it's really great. So Jim and Pam are sitting in the kitchen and they're just sort of enjoying the silence together. And Robert walks in. He says, Shared silence, the hallmark of an authentic relationship. Your intimacy ennobles this office. And Pam is flattered. She says, thank you. That's a really sweet thing for you to say. And Robert says, I want to be part of it. And they're both stunned. Jim says, huh? And Pam says, okay. Robert just smiles and nods. And he says, great. And he walks off. And it leaves Jim and Pam just sort of completely confused as to what they might have just agreed to. So later, Jim gets a text from Robert asking, Saturday, 10 o'clock. Jim says, 10's a little late for dinner. And Pam just gives him a knowing look like, oh, we won't be eating dinner at 10. Like, that's what the look says. And so they go into the conference room where he is and they ask Robert, so uh, what, what, what do we need to bring for Saturday? Robert says, you just need to bring yourselves. I have everything you'll need. Unless you have scattergories. And so all of a sudden they're awash with relief. Like, oh, it's a board game night. We love scattergories. Of course, we'll bring scattergories. Robert says... We'll need the icosahedron die from it. 20 sides, just enough. <laughs> so Pam and, mm. Pam and Jim slowly exit. And they say that yeah, we're we're looking forward to it. And Robert says me3.
0: So nope. nope, nope. Yeah, pretty heavy nope. hinting
1: is what he wants out of this. So later Jim and Pam <laughs> are drinking coffee in the lobby. They're still trying to figure out what me3 means. Pam says, "You know what? We're being crazy." jim says yeah we should we should go and pam says you know what we can't go you know we can't go (laughs) jim says yeah we should stay in saturday night i can make my salmon pam says this is going to haunt us and jim just agrees with her and then the last one jim and pam are looking at their family portrait together and it it starts separate from that other storyline pam says cc looks really cute you know and, and and the suit is adorable and philip and you know i look good and jim says I thought he was going to kill one of us or, or all of us. I thought it was going to be an awful day. And Pam says, I know, and she just sort of cackles as we see the picture. And Jim just looks crazed and everybody else looks fine. But then Robert walks in. He says, God, what a couple. <laughs> and Jim and Pam, uh, he says he says, Jim, Pam, given the circumstances, I'm afraid I must cancel our Saturday night. Pam says, Oh yeah, of course, sorry. Robert says, Me too. Jim, after a moment, he says just just out of curiosity, what would we have been doing exactly? Robert just matter-of-factly says, three-way. Like, it's the most obvious thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, I hate breaking plans, but without the underlying power dynamic, I'm just a guy effing two parents. <laughs> and Jim and Pam pass it off as this as if they're bummed. Oh, no worries, we get it. Robert says, I'm sorry to disappoint. Pam says, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and after he leaves, Jim and Pam just look at each other like they're just excited that they got away with it. Like without the confrontation, without figuring out what it is and having that awkward conversation about how we don't want to be a part of this. He canceled it. Phew, we're in the clear.
0: <laughs> but oh that whole storyline,
1: it's like a roller coaster.
0: Uh, I it It seems a little out of character for them to even play along, so I, I'm not surprised that it didn't make it in, but what a great deleted scene <laughs> yeah, and series. Yeah, it's pretty great. Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> three-way.
0: Yeah, three-way. Andy goes around begging the office for food, and Oscar gives him half a sandwich, and uh, Andy loudly and emotionally eats the sandwich in the middle of the office, and Kevin wonders out loud if there's another half to that sandwich. <laughs> uh, if there's one half, there must be another, right? But Andy apparently uh, is, is starving and needs it.
1: It's kind of a jerkbag thing of Andy to do because, yeah. I mean, obviously this whole thing is fake and he just took Oscar's lunch. Like, come he's on, man. He's not
0: actually starving.
1: Andy is drunkenly telling a story about a homeless person who slammed his box door. Like, he lives in a box door in his face because he's homeless. Oscar says, you know, Andy, that story is hard to believe. And he says, oh, I know. He completely misinterprets what Oscar's saying. I know. I know, man. Oscar says, it's sad on one level or another. Andy has an audience at this point. They ask, hasn't it only been a couple of weeks? He says, yeah, but that's what makes my fall so precipitous. Stanley says, what about your severance pay? Andy says, oh, I drink it all up, Stanley. Booze, booze, straight up my nose. (laughs) It's not what you do with booze, but okay. Daryl says, you know, you have a great resume. You'll land on your feet. Andy says, no, I lost all hope going down the slippery slope. says you know, Andy, things always work out for good people. He says, I'm not a good person anymore. She says, yes, you are. He says, no, I'm not. I'll do anything you want for $50. And Aaron looks bothered by this because Andy is taking this way too far. But Creed says, enticing. Creed's into it.
0: Creed will find some use for $50. Apparently, the deleted scenes were not my friend this this week because I had a damaged disc. And the next thing I hopped on... Like It it cut a section, and I'm not sure how much of it I missed. I got some after this, but all I hopped in on was Dwight saying, DNA for my own child? Hardly. So I'm going to let you take this one. I'll get on the next one.
1: Okay, so yeah, that was a deleted scene. The funny thing about uh, what Dwight said, he said, he's nodding the whole time, he's giving his talking head. And he says, you mean this family portrait studio is a ruse for me to just collect DNA for my own child? Hardly.
0: (laughs) There you go. Okay, I got half of it.
1: (laughs) But anyways... uh, Andy is shining Stanley's shoes. And He says, "I can see my face in them, Mr. Hudson." And Stanley says, "I'm not paying you to talk." <laughs> and so at this point Toby walks up and asks Andy if they asks Andy if they can speak with him in the conference room. He says, uh, he checks his watch and he says, "Okay, boss." And so he stands up uh with Aunt, uh with Toby's help. Uh he he's leaning hard on this limp thing that he's pretending to have. And Stanley pays in with a single coin. It looks like it might be a quarter. It's hard to tell. It might be a nickel or something. I don't know. Then the next deleted scene after that, that's the only one I think you missed. Uh, other, other, Only other one I think you missed. Uh, Daryl is taking a picture with the other warehouse guys. It's Calvin and Hede and Nate. And then there's one other guy. I'm not sure of his name. He says, isn't it good to be back together again? I thought I was going to be the only one with no money. And he just sort of chuckles as the camera continues to snap pictures <laughs> of him. The other guys look sort of depressed.
0: I can take the last two if you want. Sure. Angela is chasing Dwight in the car, and uh, she's starting to get mad and starts cursing at him. She says, where are you going? But of course, it's it's Angela. She doesn't actually curse. She says, you GD, son of a B, H, her exact words. Uh, <laughs> Dwight tosses the diaper out of the window car, and Angela stops to grab it, because now she has the DNA. But Dwight speeds up, and of course, it was a decoy diaper, because you always have a decoy. <laughs> And in the last one, on the way out for the day, Aaron apologizes to Andy that he never got his delicious moment. And uh, she says, You really got screwed. And Andy seems okay. He seems kinda of pleased with himself. He says, Well, I'm not really sure what his intention there was. I think he was saying, like, Well, I have you or something. Well, you know, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all gonna be okay. But he doesn't seem uh, terribly torn up about how the day ended because he got his job back.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that was sort of my interpretation of it was, I mean, delicious moment aside, he got his job back. That's a pretty big deal. And so in a real way, the getting the job back was a delicious moment. And he just had to put it in perspective uh, because he definitely did not get screwed. Right. So anyways, that's that's how I interpreted that final deleted yeah. scene. Okay, as far as discussion topic goes, I wanted to know... Do you think Andy disclosed to David why he got fired in the first place? I mean, it wasn't explicitly because he ditched the company for a few days, but that's what led to it. And if David knew, like just assuming he doesn't know, do you think his answer would be the same? Or do you think he would have reinstated Andy like he does?
0: Um, I think Andy would probably have raised it in a way that would ensure that not be a problem. You know, if, if he told David, I'm sure it was highlighting his, his points and not Robert's points. However, if David knew the full truth, I don't know. I mean, we've seen David with Michael Mm -hmm. in the past and Michael did some really stupid stuff and David always kind of had a soft spot for him and was a bit more lenient than he probably should have been in a lot of cases. So I think it wouldn't have necessarily meant that Andy wouldn't have gotten his job back, in my opinion. It just might have been like a slap on the wrist, you know, don't do it again. But I think that's because that I think David's a bit of a softie.
1: Yeah, I think that if if Andy had told David enough about Robert California, then David might be yeah. willing to look over, might be willing to look over any erratic behaviors Andy had, or consider them even justified under such a strange boss.
0: Yeah. Yep, that
1: makes sense. Yeah, Uh, which makes me wonder. uh, We didn't say this earlier in our discussion, but Robert pulls David into the conference room because he says, I want to give you a rundown of what I've learned about this place. So I'm really curious to know what kind of conversation went down in there. I don't think we ever get any sort of payoff on that from future episodes, but it's really interesting to consider exactly what Robert or Bob Kazimakis had to say about Dunder Mifflin Scranton.
0: Well, that is the end of our official 94th episode of An American Workplace. By the way, we did not mention some of the extra DVD bonus material that uh, is included on the DVDs, but we will get to that in a separate mini-sode of sorts. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can head over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to leave email feedback, you can do so at workplacepod at gmail.com.
1: If you'd like to leave us a voicemail to be heard on the show, uh, you can always call us at 9-3-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. If you would like to share any of your favorite funny moments that we didn't mention, if you have any questions about us or about the show or about the office, we'd love to offer our insight or our opinions, because that's what we have, our opinions on these things. We'd love to include you in further discussion that way. And as we mentioned earlier, I just want to plug this one more time. We are most active on Twitter, and so you're always welcome to interact with us there.
0: Chad always says best place is on Twitter. Mine is always definitely on Twitter too. So that's blanket. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KTLady623. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash white.
1: And the best place to find me is at chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. There's my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find where podcasts can be found and at the Podcast.com. And show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com.
0: If you want a shout-out and more of An American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplacepod. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 94 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 95 for our discussion on The First of the Last, the first two episodes of season nine, New Guys and Roy's Wedding. Bye. Bye. Suck, and I forgot to do the deleted scenes on this episode. I did the next one, and I oh, totally skipped these. It's okay. I am so sorry. That's all right. We're, we're just
1: gonna keep going. There's not that many. Yeah. In
0: this one. Chad's gonna take this one.
1: <laughs> did you watch these?
0: I totally missed them.
1: Okay. I have not well, seen well, that, these. That's I'm... fun for me because I get to describe to you. You what's get happening. to tell me <laughs> along
0: with the audience. Ugh.
1: They are now back because they made bad investments in a sport a sports drink marketed towards gay homosexuals. No wait. Asian homosexuals.
0: <laughs> Wait, gay homosexuals? <laughs> yeah, I say gay homosexuals. Is, is that a double
1: negative? Does that mean they're straight? I don't know.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: It makes you kind of wonder a little bit how accurate to taste this is and where Robert tasted that's original.
0: That's too much wondering, Chad. That's too much wondering. I'm good. But thank you. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You are welcome to call our voicemail line at nine three seven. I'm I'm just making
0: stuff up because I'm still scrolling up to the top. So give me a second. <laughs>